Well, welcome, Pathway family. I am so glad that you are here for this final weekend of our series, Becoming Who You Are, where we've really been talking about the power of identity, that how we look at ourselves, what we understand to be uh, true about ourselves really ultimately sets the trajectory for our lives. You know, recently I was uh, reading about a sociological experiment called the SCAR experiment. And for this experiment, they had 10 volunteers come in separately and, and put these huge scars on their faces. And, and they used professional makeup artists, and so they put these scars on these volunteers' faces. And the idea was that they would go out into public with this scar on their face and they would record how other people treated them, how they treated them differently because they had this scar on their faces. So the makeup artists, they, they went to work and each person, uh, after they were done, was given a mirror to see just how real and authentic that their scar looked. And then they were told, whatever you do, don't touch the scar, don't touch it. But right before they went out, they were told that one more uh, minor adjustment needed to be made with their scar. And what the makeup artist did was they completely removed the scar from their faces. But the person didn't know it. They didn't know that their scar had been removed. And then immediately they were sent out into the public thinking that they had this big, huge scar on their faces. And so these 10 volunteers, they go out and then they report on what they experience from having what they think is this scar on their faces. And consistently, they reported that people were ruder to them. That people weren't as kind to them because of this scar they thought they had on their faces. And they reported that people kept on staring at my scar. That's what they said. Even though the scar wasn't there, they thought it was there. They believed it was there. They were looking at the world through the lens of this scar they, that they had on their faces. And to continue on this line of thinking, they reported that they were more embarrassed in public, that they were more self-conscious around other people, and they looked down more often than they normally would. But they didn't have a scar on their face. But they believed they had a scar on their faces. You see, they had a false identity, and false identities have great power over us because we believe them to be true, even though they're not. And they, they keep, and the key really, though, in the end to breaking the power, though, of false identities is to what? To identify them, to recognize them, and then to allow the power of our true identity to really be able to overcome it. So as we get kind of started once again today, I just want to ask you, what's your scar? What's your scar? What's that false identity that has power over you, even though it's not true, but it's still having power over you? You know, like I, I shared a couple of weeks ago, my false identity is I'm not good enough. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I always feel like I'm just kind of coming up a little bit short. I'm not good enough. But I want to ask you, what's your scar? What false identity has power over you? What what's, has power you? What false identity has power over you that's keeping you from embracing your true identity and everything that you have in Christ? 
Well, what we've been doing all this month is we've been looking at the book of Ephesians to find answers to this problem regarding our identities. And Paul has been saying uh, to these Christ followers in Ephesus, I don't know what your past identity was. Maybe it was success. Maybe it was failure. Maybe it was something someone said about you. But what Paul has been saying over and over again to the Ephesians and in this book is that the truest thing about you is not any of those other things. The truest thing about you is that you are in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ, that's who you are? And that's what Paul has been saying over and over again, over a hundred times throughout the New Testament and really in these first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. But then when he gets to chapter 4, he kind of turns the corner. And kind of in the second half of this book, he begins to shift the focus. And in the second half of the book of Ephesians, Paul kind of begins to transition into telling us what our new identity does. What are are the implications of this new identity that we have? So look with me. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Paul says there, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So so Paul here is literally saying, live a life worthy of what God has called you. Live a life worthy of what God has called you. And to me, that's so interesting because he's saying, look, here's who you are. Here's what God has been calling you. He's been doing that for the first three chapters of this book. He's he's been saying, God's chosen you. He's called you adopted. He's called you adopted. I mean, can you imagine that? He's called you loved. Did you know that today, that you are loved, loved, loved? You are loved by God. And today, he says in the book of Ephesians, you're his masterpiece, a workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do these incredible good works. That's who you are. That's the truest thing about you. That's what God has called you. And so now he's saying, live a life. Live your ordinary, everyday life in the what of that is God has called you and what he's called you. Live your life now to what he has called you. So you can see clearly, behavior flows from our identity. What we do every day, how we live every day, flows out of who that we are. That's what it does. So if you want to know why you're acting in a certain way, why you're behaving in a certain way, it's because you're finding your identity in something. Because your behavior, it flows out of your identity of of who that you are. So if you want to know what your identity is, look at your behavior. Because it reveals it. Because behavior believes what we actually think is the truest thing about us. So for me... A signal that I'm operating out of my false identity is when I get overly anxious when I sense that people are disappointed in me. I'm not good enough, and now people don't like me. When I overwork many times, it's a signal of my false identity. Is It's driving me because if I work hard enough, then I'll be good enough, and then, then people will like me because ultimately my identity is... My performance plus what other people think about me equals my identity. So you see, behavior flows from whatever our identity is, even if it's a false identity. 
But that's why in the next verses, Paul goes on to describe what a Christ-following behavior really is to look like when a person's identity is truly, when it's truly rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says next, chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So first, our identity it impacts how we treat each other. Because if our identity is in, tri- in Christ, it impacts how we interact, how we treat each other. So Paul says, look, this is who you are in Christ. And because this is who you are, then be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle with one another because that's who you are. That's who I am. This is part of living out a Christ-centered identity. So when you think about God's grace then in your life, when you think about God's love for you, then that should be able to make you more loving and more patient than towards other people. Because the reality is when you're living out of a false identity, the focus is on yourself. But when you're living out of a true Christ-centered identity, then all of a sudden your focus switches, it changes. It starts focusing on other people. That's how you know that you're living out your Christ-centered identity. So if you keep, then once again, if you keep saying I or me, no, that's a signal for you. It's a signal that you're living out of a false identity. And, and Paul drills down a little bit deeper on this truth in terms of how that our identity impacts the way that we treat each other. Verse 25, he goes on to say, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We've got we've to tell each other the truth. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the, the devil a foothold. We're not to be angry with, uh, with other people. And in our anger, sin. And then verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Paul is saying, look, if this is who you are, this is how you should act. And right there, and you should be able to, you should talk differently than other people. It's not the way that you used to talk before you were in Christ, but now that you are in Christ, it should be reflected in your words and the way, the way that you're interacting with other people. Now, one of my classic fails in this area was several years ago when my boys were playing uh, they were young, and they were playing basketball in a league called Funball. And, and as you can imagine, as the name implies, the league is specifically for boys to be able to gain fundamental skills in basketball and have fun. I, I mean, it's structured for fun and not for all-out competition. Well, I had not fully embraced the spirit of Funball. <laughs> And so one of the first games of the season, I was yelling really loud from the stands. I mean, I felt like the, the refereeing was far below par, and my kids' effort wasn't really up to the standard that I thought that, that they should be playing. And so about halfway through the game, after I had yelled really loudly one too many times, I mean, the ref spins around about midcourt, and he points me out in the stands and walks over and then kicks me out of the gym. And, and of course, as you can imagine, there were several people from our church family that saw that happen. <laughs> and there were lots of people in the community who know me and know what I do for a living. They, they saw what has happened as well. And so I was really totally embarrassed. 
It was obvious to everyone that my behavior wasn't flowing from my Christ-centered identity. But after I sat outside the gym for a while, (laughs) the Holy Spirit did get my attention about that situation. And after the game, I went back in the gym, and I found this referee, and and I apologized to him, and I took responsibility for my poor behavior and and let him know that my behavior wasn't how a Christ-following person should act. Well, my point is, your identity, though, should impact how you treat other people. That's what it means to have a Christ-following life. Now, Now, remember, Paul isn't just throwing out a list of rules here. This isn't like as you get into chapter 4, this isn't just a big long list of, of do's and don'ts. No, instead he's saying because of who you are, this is how that you should live. This is how that you should behave. Because behavior flows out of our identity if we understand who we are. But here's where we get into trouble on this, especially kind of in the big church universal, is that we kind of relegate Christ following into a bunch of list of rules. And we start telling people, here's what you should be doing and here's what you shouldn't be, be doing. And specifically, we struggle with a lot of time of giving our list of rules to people who aren't Christ followers and trying to impose our list. That's not who they are yet. They haven't signed up for that. But Paul is carefully, though, saying to Christ followers here, look, because of who you are, because of God's love for you, this is the behavior that should be flowing out of your life because of this is your relationship with me. So, for example... When I got married, there was a certain list of rules that I agreed to, that I signed up for. They they were spelled out in the the vows I made to my wife, that that I should be faithful uh, to her uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health. And so I agreed to those rules, to those rules that I knew about. But after I got married, I discovered there was a whole other list of rules that I did not know about. But I certainly, I soon learned about. For example, I learned that the toilet paper on the spindle should always go over the top and never under. <laughs> I mean, I could have an opinion about that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? I also learned that when Chris asked me how she looks, the correct answer is no matter what she looks like, honey, you look awesome. You look awesome. So there were these lists of rules that I've learned along the way in marriage. And here's the deal. If I saw marriage as a list of rules, I'd be overwhelmed and miserable. All the things I can do and I can't do. But that's not how I see it. Because I'm passionately in love with my wife. I identify as her husband. She's my wife. And so I don't do those things as a list of rules. I do them because I'm her husband. And so Paul isn't giving a list of rules here. He's saying, look, if you're in Christ, God loves you. You love God. And here's what your life should look like. And because God's way is always perfect, it's always right, we can always trust it, that it's going to take us to someplace wonderful. Well, when we get to chapter 5, Paul continues to talk about how our behavior is to flow from our identity. And he actually kind of takes kind of a sharp turn, and he begins to talk about something that I think is very relevant right now in our own culture. And that's sexuality. And sexuality is a place where we struggle with a lot of misplaced identity. So I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says here, beginning with verse 3 of chapter 5. But among you, there must not even uh, be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. 
because these are improper for God's holy people. So because this is who you are, it affects your sexuality. Identity impacts your sexuality. And for the church in Ephesus, this was a huge deal. Because at the heart of their religious practice before uh, coming to Christ, uh, sexual, sexual immorality was at the centerpiece of it. it. It was a huge pagan practice in pagan temples. But Paul says, look, that's not who you are anymore. Because this is who you are now. Things are to be different. You know, I was reading uh, recently about a report that was done by the dating website Ashley Madison. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ashley Madison, but it's not a normal dating website. It's a dating website for people who are already in a relationship. So it's a dating website for married people who want to cheat on their spouses. And actually the slogan for Ashley Madison is, life is short, have an affair. That's the wisdom that they are they're, uh, perpetuating. And they put out the survey one time to the members of their website about faith. And 25% of the members of their website identified themselves as Christ followers. So 25% of these members see themselves as followers of Jesus. And so you have to kind of ask yourself, what's going on here? Well, what's happening here is that these Christ followers on this website are allowing their identity to be defined by their sexual desires. They're not viewing their faith through the lens of being in Christ, but they're viewing it, rather, through their sexual desires. But Paul is saying here, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's a false identity. That's not the truest thing about you. What you're to do now is to look at your sexual desires through the lens of your identity in Christ and match your behavior with who you are. You want your behavior to match up with your identity in Christ. And let me say something here for a moment to Christ followers right now who find themselves struggling with feelings of same-sex attraction, bisexual or transgender feelings. I mean, I have several people in my life right now who are struggling with these feelings and are really, in many ways, just very confused by them. And let me say to you first that those feelings are very real. They are so real. You know they're real. And they're actually very similar to the feelings that heterosexual people struggle with when they have feelings of sexual desire outside the context of heterosexual marriage. Like those who identified as Christ followers that were on the Ashley Madison website. And those feelings you're experiencing right now, just like heterosexual people experience, I want to let you know, it may never go away. They may never go away. But what Paul is calling the Ephesians to, and what he's calling us to today, is to look at our sexual desires first through the lens of our identity in Christ. And then to allow that identity to direct our behavior. And the behavior that he highlights in this passage that flows from our identity in Christ doesn't have a hint of sexual immorality. It doesn't have a hint of sexual immorality. So I say to you, focus first and foremost on being a child of God. Focus first and foremost on that. 
and not on your sexuality or on your sexual identity, and then allow your behavior then to flow from that true Christ-centered identity. Because that indeed, in the end, that's what your soul really longs for. That's what your soul longs for. That's what it thirsts for. Because all of us here, every one of us, we're searching for something to fill the depths of our soul. And I promise that you are here today and you're struggling with something, but it's maybe a little bit different. You're trying to find life, something to satisfy your soul with something else besides Jesus. I feel the same tension in my own soul. And what we do in life so many times is we keep trying to figure out the right mixture, you know, and we, the recipe so that we'll kind of find the life that we're truly looking for. And I'm just here to say to you today, just from my, my own journey and my own struggle and from what the Bible says, most importantly, you will never find it because it's all in Jesus. He's the thing that gives satisfaction, peace to your soul that you long for. And so I say to you today, lean into that. I know it's scary to lean into that, but lean into that because if you lean into that, you'll find the rest that your soul truly longs for. So embrace life-giving behavior which flows really from a Christ-centered identity. Now, to sum up really where we've been really through this, out this whole series and what we've been talking about today, I'm going to share with you really a story about a missionary from San Antonio, Texas named Warren Beamer, who was visiting this, this orphanage in Nigeria. And, and when he was at this orphanage, he had a young lady come up to him and, and start talking to him just in perfect English. And in fact, her English over in Nigeria had a, a southern accent. So she, he didn't expect someone with a southern accent to come up to him that looked like they were just in this orphanage in Nigeria. Well, this girl said that she was from Houston, Texas, and she uh, uh, then recited her social security number, and then she proceeded then to take Warren to meet her six brothers and sisters. And they ranged in age from 8 to 18, and he found out that they were originally sent to a boarding school there in Nigeria by their American mother. But then she stopped making tuition payments to the school and all these children were immediately sent to this poorly run orphanage to live. And so these kids were trying to convince Warren that they were American citizens, that that's what their true identity really was. And so these kids, they, they got together and, and they sang the Star Spangled Banner. And they did all the stuff to be able to, to help convince Warren that they were truly uh, American citizens. And so ultimately, with this help of Warren, this pastor, and, and a U.S. congressman, they ultimately got these kids help, and they were brought back to the United States. So you see then, they had an identity. And, and you could tell what their identity is, what, right? I mean, they talked differently. I mean, the, these kids, they acted differently. I mean, you could just tell. You could just tell they were American citizens, you know? And that's what Paul's saying here. And that's what he's been saying really through the whole book of Ephesians. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens here on earth. So people should know. They should know. It should be obvious and they should be able to kind of feel it. That, that, we're, that we're different. That we talk different. That we treat other people different. That we behave sexually different than all the rest of the world. 
You see, because everything about us is it's a little bit different because our identity is in Christ. Because that's who we are. That's who we are. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, that's who we are. It changes everything. It changes everything about us. And so as we conclude, really, just this whole series today, I want us to do something together, kind of in a very tangible way so that we can get this reality and this truth just cemented into our hearts. And so when you uh, came in today, uh, at all of our locations, there was this name tag that was on your seats that looks like this. So I want you to go ahead and I want you to pick up that name tag right now. Find that name tag and pick it up. And what I want you to do next is kind of you're doing that. I want you to grab a pen or a pencil, uh, maybe ultimately from the seat back in front of you. So go ahead and get that out. And the next thing that I want to do in these next few moments is that I want you to think about your false identity. I want you to think about your scar. That old identification that you've been living out of many times. And we've talked about some of these false identities that we struggle with. I mean, whether it be incompetent, unattractive, unwanted, divorced, addicted, not good enough. Or it could be maybe a more socially acceptable false identity that we try to live out. Maybe it's successful or popular or rich. But I want to ask you, and I want you to write down right now what your false identity is on that name tag. Write that down right now. Write down that false identity that sometimes it feels like just wells up in your soul all the time. Write down that false identity on your name tag. Every day you do that. Write down that false identity. All right? And now what I want you to do is I want you to cross out that false identity. I want you now to cross out that false identity that you've written down. Do that now. And then what I want you to do is to write down your new identity. Your new identity that shows you who you are in Christ. So do that. And everybody do that. Write down now your new identity in Christ. And let me remind you, kind of in first person, who you are in Christ, once again, from the book of Ephesians. In Christ, I am chosen. Chosen before the beginning of time. In Christ, I'm holy. I've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm holy now. And in Christ, I, I'm adopted. I may feel unwanted. I may have been rejected in my life, but now I'm adopted. And I'm forgiven. I've had some failures in my life. I've, I've done some stuff that I'm not proud of that I don't want other people to know, but I'm forgiven. And I'm his masterpiece. Other people that told me I wasn't good enough, that I didn't have anything to bring, but in his word, in the book of Ephesians, says that I am his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. And I'm called. I'm called. Somebody picked me out. God picked me out of the crowd. He called me. He called my name. I'm a part of his team. 
and I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I've got every spiritual blessing that is humanly possible in Christ. I'm blessed today, and I am redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, everything that's happened in my past. It's been redeemed. It's made whole. It's made right again, and I'm loved. It's not that I've just made it on the team, man. I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm a part of God's family. I've been welcomed in. I've been embraced. I am loved. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to write down, I want you to write down your new identity. Write down one of those phrases that maybe resonated with your own soul today. Write that down on your name tag right now. That you'll remember. That'll get cemented into your soul. That that's your identity. That's the identity that Jesus has given you. And so what I want to do as we kind of begin to wrap up is I just want to pray and I want to just talk to God that he'll just cement those things into our souls, that it'll drive the way that we now live, that we, as we understand who we are, it'll drive now the way that we live, all right? So I just want to ask everyone, just at all of our locations, uh, those of you who are watching online as well, just to bow your head to be able to close your eyes with me, and I just want to go to God, and I want to, I want to ask him that he would just cement these things into our souls right now. So would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this journey that we've been on over these last four weeks as we've dug into your word in the book of Ephesians and understood in some fresh ways, in some new ways, who we are. That we're chosen, we're adopted, we're a part of your family. We have every spiritual blessing. That there are so many things, God, that you have unpacked in your word about who we are. God, thank you so much for that. And we want that to be cemented into our souls so that we would be able to live in a new kind of way, God. That we would truly live for who we are and be able to experience the life and the satisfaction that you've made us and you've designed us for. And so we pray that you'd give us courage, you'd give us resolve, you'd give us the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to live and embrace a new kind of life. And God, I know as we live and embrace a new kind of life, people will see you through us and will be able to fulfill your mission in just in great and powerful ways. And so God, we pray that you would enable us to be able, for you to be able to be seen as well in us. Now as we continue to pray right now, I know there are others of you that are here today. And you've, honestly, you've been lost and you've been wondering. And, and you've never found that true identity that, that your soul has been really longing for, it's been searching for. And I want to let you know, like I said earlier, that you'll never find what your soul is royally longing for and searching for until you find Jesus, until you embrace Jesus and make him the leader and the savior of your life. And so today, I don't want you to miss that opportunity. I don't want you to miss that opportunity to become adopted into God's family today, to be able to receive a totally new identity for you to be able to live out of and be able to experience life like you never have before. So don't miss this opportunity today. Don't miss this opportunity right in these moments to be able to open the door of your heart and to be able to make Jesus Christ the leader, the Savior of your life. So I invite you right now. I invite you right now. Pray this prayer with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes, that I've had failures. 
But today, Jesus, I choose you. I choose you to be the leader, the savior of my life, to embrace that new identity that you give me so that I would be able to experience all that my soul truly longs for. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins, for all my mistakes, failures, and God, just all those things that I'm not proud of. And I pray, God, Lord Jesus, that you would now use my life to go and share your love, your hope, and that new identity that I have with other people. Now with everybody's head still bowed right now and eyes still closed, you prayed that prayer for the very first time and you got adopted into God's family today. Man, what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand right now just as a sign to God that you got adopted into his family today, that you're chosen, that, you're, that you are uh, loved, God, that you're redeemed. Just raise your hand right now and say, God, that's me. That's me today. I'm chosen. I'm redeemed. I'm a part of your family today. Raise your hand right now, wherever you're at. Say to God that that's you, that that's you today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you right now. Oh, Father in heaven, I just thank you so much, God. You're always at work. God, drawing people to yourself. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, friends today that accepted you, became part of your family, that were chosen, adopted, God, loved and forgiven today that they became just part of your family. Lord, I pray you bless them, that they would fully understand and grasp the new identity that they have in you. God, we just love you, we bless you, and we thank you so much that you're here. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.